This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Arsene Wenger has been in Japan for a year. He doesn't know anything about English football. I will love it if we beat them. This is football heritage. Con Giovanni, yeah, incredible. Dribble, 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 dribble. If you don't know the answer to that question, then I think you're, you, you, are, you are an ostrich. Right. It's December 9th. It's dark out most of the time. Most Premier League teams have played 16 times this season. Yet, contrary to what happens most seasons, the table still looks kind of funny. Only 9 points separate 5th place from 18th. Only 5 points further and the top 4 gets dragged into this mess. Hello and welcome to the Total Football Podcast. I'm your host, Egan Heron, and joining me is Andrew Conway. Hello. Andrew, is this table going to settle down now, or will this bizarre future we're living in continue? It looks like it's set to continue. I don't foresee anyone really pulling together a huge amount of consistency over the Christmas period we're coming up to, because basically they're going to be playing three matches every seven days on average. Yeah. Some teams more if you're Liverpool. Yeah, Liverpool. We'll talk about Liverpool fixture congestion a bit later, but yeah, the it is a total mess at the moment because... Uh, like, it's the record uh, low amount of points, joint record low amount of points between the gap between fifth place and seventeenth place at this stage mm. of the season. Uh, I think it's it's what nine points. I think is the gap, yeah. or eight points rather, is the gap between fifth and seventeenth. Uh, is level with two thousand three, two thousand four season, which I don't remember being a crazy season. Or no, anything. but it was very open that season. I suppose when you when you reach the place which we have reached, and it it's taken a few years, but the we finally received, we've reached this point of rather equalisation and it's come from the amount of money that's gone into the Premier League in the last 10 years or so. A lot of clubs, a lot of decent sized clubs now have a good budget. They have a good squad. They're okay. And then there's the odd freak which you get every season of a team overperforming the likes of Sheffield United, say, for instance. And it's, it, it's resulted in no team being really that awful. We're looking, who's bottom of the league right now? Watford. Watford. Norwich. Uh, Southampton. Ev- Southampton, Everton, they're all down there at the moment. And you know, you're looking at those teams like, you know, Southampton have been destroyed in certain matches and given up. But at the same time, it's not Sunderland of a few years ago. It's not Aston Villa of a few years ago. It's not Derby County. And like Norwich certainly aren't that either. And neither are Watford, really. They're just in a bad run of form. All of those teams you can easily see finishing, not that it will happen at this point, but if one of those teams had finished eighth at the end of this season, you'd be like, oh yeah. Well, what I find really interesting as well is that the gap last year at this stage was 22 points between 17th mm. and 5th, so which was a record high. Yeah. So, like, it's normal for it to get that high and then get that low, yeah, but not, n- not so immediately. Like, it's happened one like one season into the next. Yeah. It is strange. It's, a, it's almost been a big retraction, a big crash in the in the difference between yeah you're right usually a cycle will end of a big team you know big teams come to an end of a cycle to, um, you know you could say uh, the tail end of Man City's you know dominance of English football maybe was last season Spurs last great hope for glory was last season obviously Manchester United Arsenal were just treading water and Chelsea to a to a lesser extent, but Liverpool obviously won last season, so they're they're pulling ahead now. But the other the other challengers say reach the end of their cycles. You you want to say, and then as a result of that, it's a kind of the average. The if you want to go to the 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 bottom of the bell curve came down a bit. Like it, I, I think it's just because like normally you'd associate with it being the two records in my mind anyway. You would think that they those records would be set maybe three four years apart. As, yeah. As the cycle 
slowly drifts towards an end point yeah. but it's just so suddenly and rapidly been like okay there's a clear dominance here in the top six and now all of a sudden there's no dominance at all except for obviously Liverpool yeah. and to yeah. a lesser extent Leicester City and, and you can't really blame the season because the last time we, ne- we probably saw something similar to this was the season Leicester won the league when there was no dominant force and that's why Leicester were able to pip in and win the league but we don't have that this year there is dominant forces at play there is clear dichotomies between different aspects of the league but it's just the case that everyone's roughly at the same level it reminds me not that I was around for it but the, the late 70s league championships where you would have a team getting promoted and like Ipswich or like uh, Knott's Forest before them winning the league or nearly winning the league and then it returning to normal the following year when then Liverpool would win the league or you know, mostly Liverpool would win the league and would continue that dominance until another breakage with like Aston Villa winning the league in 82 or Everton winning the league. You know, these kind of, not that they're f- entirely freaks, but they are statistically out of the norm when a Liverpool side would reach the end of its kind of reign as, as the best side in the league and you'd have these little blips and maybe that's what we're in now at Man City. Between Man City and Chelsea who've kind of been trading in the Premier League for most of the last how many how many years since no uh, Manchester United was the last team other than Leicester City the blip that it was yeah that was 2013 then like, yeah. like we, we we are still kind of feeling the effects of a lack of a Ferguson in in, this, in, oh. in the league to an extent because like I think the, the the peak of that was Leicester winning the league because I, I can't imagine a scenario in which Ferguson is still Manchester United manager and Leicester win that league title but it's unlikely but yeah it's the kind of thing that just under Ferguson's watch he wouldn't have allowed it Man yeah. United would have just won that league because you know they Ferguson have, was, yeah. was a freak yeah. but we're still kind of seeing the effects of that and almost like Ferguson's power has been split out and put into Conte Pep and Klopp and it's well, yeah, between it's just, those three to an extent the, the power of Ferguson doesn't exist anywhere in world football you can argue that in the past you know Cruyff in Spain or any of the number of Italian managers Capello uh, uh, Marcello Lippi even Ancelotti to an extent would have that kind of power over the league that wouldn't allow some up and comer to come up and win the league but you're looking around global leagues now and there's no one with that kind of influence that say a Bob Paisley had where Liverpool a Shankly had previously a uh, 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 Don Revy had a Ferguson had a Clough to even certain amount anyway he would he would keep teams in check like he did uh in 1990 say he he prevented liverpool winning a league or he gave the league to arsenal that year over liverpool by beating liverpool comprehensively and you're like you, you, there isn't there isn't a, a force of will or a force of character left in the league like you see every single manager even you're looking at pep guardiola and we're like he's probably not going to be there next season just if they win the european cup he's definitely not going to be there next season but you know, he he is the most powerful manager in world football right now, and he, even he can't have the control over the league that would like that would bend to his will. That he would make by being the best team overall, because they probably are best squad. The league will eventually crumble to his will, but it hasn't happened. And then yeah, it was actually a really bad week for Pep. Uh, lost mm. in the Manchester derby, and what was really weird about it? Yeah, well, what happened? Weird. What happened in that match? I don't understand. I don't like other. Obviously, I think the second goal was a bad goal to concede. Keeper was, I think, could have done better at it, and the defense kind of let um, Martial run through. What what happened though? Why weren't they able to do eighty third minute, eighty fourth minute? Otamendi scored, and it was all city. Like what was it? Were they just trying the same things over and over again? Were just trying to push it out right and push it back left and get a tap in goal? Like because during last week, City before the other match, 
Uh, well, no, it was last week when they won. Was it Villa last week? They beat Burnley it was midweek. Burnley. Yeah, it was Burnley, and it was just fairly standard fare. Like, I know Newcastle was recently enough as well, and that kind of had... That was last weekend, yeah. Yeah, so that, it's like, the matches come so thick and fast that, you know, they were adapting, they are changing the way they're playing all the time to try and get something else out of the match. Like, they were playing Route 1 football against Burnley at times to kind of overcome a press, and then, you know, back to their normal play as well to score a few other goals in that match. But then against United, they're just against a stone wall, and they, they don't have any get the ball to De Bruyne and hope he does something is that the plan what was really strange is before the match Pep actually came out and said oh you know they're a counter-attacking team they're going to counter-attack and you know yeah. we're just going to have to stop that but Maynard had nine counter-attacks in the first 30 minutes they got a penalty from one of them which was an interesting use of VAR yeah. uh, it was per- perfect use of VAR really like it's yeah. hard to disagree that that was a penalty yeah uh Honestly, kind of strange that it wasn't given in real time, and I suppose maybe the comfort of I think they're waiting. I think they're waiting to give those decisions now, even though, like, on a normal occasion, it would have looked a bit. Oh, of course, Manchester United get a penalty, but I think the referee excused himself from that abuse by letting it go to VAR. Uh, and then the second goal you mentioned, like Man City's defense just kind of stood around. Like Martial is not a player; like he's a quick player he when he great. when he, when it he made runs. him look fantastic. They did, but and Martial is a person who who has pace, but he doesn't tend to use it very often. Like he is very deliberate in the in the movements yeah. he makes, but they made him look like Usain Bolt the way he's running around. Yeah. Like it's not as bad they, as they the... just stood around and let him yeah. walk right through them. It was. It's not as bad as lame. like I don't know if we're going to talk, but Son's goal. Uh, where he ran the length of the field. That that was a ridiculous goal. No, but that's never... People say, oh, this is probably the goal of the season. No, it's not. It's yeah, the worst defending I've seen all season. That's what I mean. It was ridiculous yeah. in the way that like the, the Burnley defence was just terrible. Like, Son did well to make the, make the most out well of it. He did well to hold on to the ball and not screw it up the way, like, overthinking it. But other than that, I don't think it was an amazing goal. No one did anything. But to go back to Manchester United, yeah. I don't... It wasn't... You see, you can you can call them brain farts or apparitions. Any apparitions? Is that the word? Sure, we'll go. We'll go over that apparatus. That's the thing in Harry Potter when you teleport. Um, but because it happens, the these kind of lapses in concentration for the Man City defense have happened. I'm thinking back to talking to Spurs, the semi final first leg, was well, even the second leg as well. But definitely the first leg when Fabian Delph made the mistake and Ederson made the mistake of not coming quickly enough for the ball, and the ball went in, and Spurs scored, and that's eventually what swung the tide in. Uh, in Spurs' favour that was the, one of the goals you know um, and that won the first leg certainly and this has happened again that City just kind of oh uh, we're not really in the mood for defending this minute so would you mind not scoring on us and then they just score and and what what was really strange as well like their their reaction to it like, uh, I think it was Ming Adelaney pointed out that like because it was a refereeing incident, you almost feel like any time a refereeing incident goes against Man City, even if it's the right decision, Man City are just going to lose their heads now because it is a personification of their manager out on the pitch. Like, yeah. we, obviously, we laughed at the at the moment against Liverpool where he yelled into the sky twice and all yeah. that. Like, it was funny. But also, it's symbolic of the fact that Pep is a man who just seemingly can't handle things going against him when it's completely out of his, out of in, his hands. In fairness to Pep, yes, you're right. He can't handle it going against him. And but... it seems to affect his teams as well. Like, I don't think this was something that's exclusive to Man City. Like it was, yeah, he it, has it, crumbled. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, and it usually comes in 10, 15 minute periods. Like, even yeah. when it isn't necessarily a refereeing decision, but just a defensive error leads yeah. to one goal. You think of the the two Liverpool games in the year they met in the Champions League and they won 4 3 at Anfield in yeah. the league that time. It was 
two very quick bursts of quick fire goals uh three quick fire goals like yeah. they can see one suddenly they look com- completely yeah, they vulnerable they, don't they can see yeah. the second then a third it was the same in the Manchester derby when the yeah. same when Spurs won. in the second leg last season yeah there's just something with the team that they can't seem to they just completely yeah Bayern Munich against Real Madrid it happened yeah you know? exactly like is it just a strange thing where they're so focused on attacking and getting into the game and winning the match that when yeah. something goes against them and they have to actually think on their feet, yeah. they completely crumble because they yeah. forget what they have to do. Yeah, and that that is, I think it is a flaw and it's why certain players cannot work with Pep or Pep-like managers. And we've discussed it before, like Zlatan hated working with Pep, not necessarily because he didn't improve his technical game, but because Pep, well, as Zlatan thought, he had a mind of his own. And he decided what he wanted to do on the field when he wanted to do it. And that's not how Pep likes to play. Pep likes to micromanage every movement of all of his players. So if, like you're saying, if something happens that's out of the plan and Pep doesn't have the adequate time to respond to that plan, i.e. immediately, the players don't know what to do and they crumble. And, you know, it's something that I don't think his system allows for very often. And it doesn't happen very often because usually his, his plans are all conquering and he beats everybody. But in certain situations like this, they did just crumble. They didn't know how to react and they didn't perform well as a result of that. It's unfortunate for Pep that's happened against a rival like Manchester United. He doesn't have a great record against Manchester United as we know. He, the chance they win the league a couple of years ago, Ashley Young taking out Sergio Aguero, if you remember, and not getting a penalty for some bizarre reason. Um, but to bring it back to your actual question about Pep and his antics affecting the team. I think Pep's performance on the sideline of him just, you know, slowly destroying the self-esteem of Mikel Arteta by yelling at him nonstop. Free Arteta. Free Arteta, yeah. His poor eardrums, you know, they must be bleeding. Um, I think it's a thing he does necessarily. It might it might be a performance thing, the way, you know, Mourinho would call himself the special one, take pressure off the team. I'm not really sure if it is. I think it does lump a bit more pressure onto the team. But at the same time, it stops as soon as the match is over. Usually, like maybe there's a little bit Liverpool of match the exception, I think. A little bit after, but then right after the match, he was back to back to normal Pep, back well, to next game, back to they were the better side, decisions, blah blah blah. But like it wasn't brought up, he didn't bring it up himself in multiple occasions afterwards, and he hasn't in the past when when certain things have gone against him at Bayern Munich. I remember specifically like that that match in the last season at Bayern against Atletico Madrid when decisions were just mental and they missed penalties and stuff like that. And he didn't carry it with him afterwards. They went on and won the league in Germany as they would. Um, so I, I think it stops at a certain point. I think I, t- I can't think you can hold him responsible or creating this kind of atmosphere around Man City, which does exist. And I don't know if you're going to go on to it about kind of the racist abuse we saw and yeah, I was actually uh, wondering about that as well. Like, I was just going to mention a uh, quote about, from Pep, actually, from the match before we move on to that. Uh, he said, uh, United have the quality to defend and the quality to attack on the counter-attack. That is the level we face against Liverpool, United, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Juventus. The reality, the reality is maybe we are not able to now compete with them, which I thought was a bit strange as well. Like it, it, All of a sudden, this club that he spent a lot of money with and spent a lot of money in the, this summer even to bring in the yeah. likes of Rodri, Cancelo, a player he's not even using. Yeah. Uh, it just seems very self-defeatist, a bit kind of... I don't know what the right word is to describe it really, but it, it just... It's not what we normally associate with Pessimism. I yeah, he's been very negative. I don't... There's a couple of things. He's either... I wonder, is he doing the whole trying to build an underdog siege mentality and saying they're lesser teams, like we're a lesser team, we're going, we're punching above our weight to be in it, even though budget-wise, 
you know, they're not. It's just sincerely... I don't and the think fact any- that they're English champions as well, double English champions. No one can take that kind of thing seriously, though, because no matter what happens with Manchester City, I'll never have the sympathy for them this season of, of oh, look at us, Laporte is injured and stuff like that. I was like, well, you have plenty... You've spent plenty of money yeah. in the first place, and second of all, your new company was gone in the summer. Yeah, they, want- they had the chance to replace them and decided not to. They could yeah. have gone for Harry Maguire and decided not to because of financial... Like, they didn't want, they to, spend, didn't want to spend... They didn't want to spend... that extra five million yeah. or whatever it was for a ridiculous... Uh, PO reasons it seems like yeah uh, well yeah they just, had, it's, they it's, had hard, it's hard to feel any kind of sympathy for they offloaded the club their or captain pet. they offloaded their captain they put their other defender mainstay defender experienced defender Otamendi out uh, for sale couldn't get money for him and they only tried to sign one player which you know if they got rid of Otamendi like they intended to and had still not signed Harry Maguire which they probably weren't going to because Man United would have just increased he increased their bid further and gone to 90 million and then what, at what point would they draw the line I think that was I think it was a line in the sand I'm not sure if, if I would criticise City for not buying Harry Maguire because I think it was a case that I think he wanted to go to Manchester United and certainly Manchester United wanted him United had the bottomless funds and they would have just kept on going till but, they got the but Harry Maguire wasn't the only centre-back that no, he true, signed either true, like, true. I'm just using him as, as an well, example of someone who went yeah he wasn't the only one but as it turned out like he would have been very important for them because they do lack a, a, a certain amount of homegrown players which they require and by getting rid of Vincent Company and Otamendi and not replacing with an English player because of other you know sales they've made in the squad or other you know drops they've made out of the squad they would need to sign a homegrown player and signing someone with experience and quality that could drop straight into the team would be very hard to find outside of Harry Maguire for the level of player they wanted not that they didn't exist but it was very difficult even to get someone who was available like Harry Maguire um, the, but the the uh it's it's it, 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 i don't think it matters that no, like you don't have sympathy for man city or i don't have sympathy for man city because we're not going to i think it matters do any of the players buy this angle that they're an underdog in it i'm not sure like i can, can't imagine kevin de bruyne ever thinking ever ever having that doubt in his mind about his quality or david silva or sergio aguero or like the majority of that team like who who is that out to like I don't think Raheem Sterling thinks he's an underdog I like who is in that team that would think that they're an underdog maybe uh, Phil Foden maybe Rodri get into the team Rodri's come from Atletico Atletico where they were drilled into them and he knows I've I like I'm in El Dorado compared to Atletico in terms of the money in terms of the what's going on at the club so I, I, I can't imagine it's going to fulfill him is it just an, an a realism honesty with Pep Guardiola that he's just saying yeah this team isn't as good as Juventus isn't as good as but, but he's lumped Man United in there and like Man United is at 5th place at the moment is it they the clearly li- have yeah. issues like they, they're clearly a better side than Man is United. it just him just having a go or you know, the, I'm thinking of Jose Mourinho little dog or little horse oh I'm just a little horse you know when he was at Chelsea at that time wasn't it or was he at Man United at I'm that not point? sure I can't remember it was, it was in his second spell in England anyway are we in his third spell now technically Nah, it's one continuous spell. It's one continuous spell. Uh, when he said he was a little horse and Arsenal were the big horse and stuff like that. And I think he won the league <laughs> that, that year, or at least within 12 months of that, he won the league. Um, so it could be a little bit of, not fun, but a little bit of but he this kind of stupid games they're playing. But it wasn't like him emphasising United weren't. He just casually mentioned United yeah. alongside Liverpool. And obviously in pure stature, United are one And of is that clubs, all the Pep, that's what I'm wondering, is that all Pep, ever really thinks about is it the stature of the club 
Is it like, oh, I've gone to Man City to build something? That's why he was attracted to Man City. Sure, they had all the money in the world. Sure, they had, you know, his friends running the show and director of football and technical director and the chairman of the club are all people he knows and has worked with and trusts. But was it a thing to build Satcher at a club and to start from a, a, a blank slate that, say, if he went to Manchester United, wouldn't be possible? If he had gone to a big club in Italy, wouldn't be possible. But it is possible at Man City because... Not that they're nothing, because they've won leagues, they've won cups before. You know, he arrived at the, before the 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 Sheikh Mansour arrived. They had won those tournaments, you know, in the sixties and earlier. But to him, it's as if nothing has ever. You know, this club is a brand new club and something he can stamp his identity on. The way that Cruyff, again, not that Cruyff invented Barcelona, but the way Cruyff did in the seventies and eighties and nineties. That in the in thirty years' time, they'll be talking about Guardiola, the Guardiola style of football at Man City. Is that what he, you know, wants from it, and is that what he's trying to endear? And is he failing in that? And he's almost realized this isn't working. I'm not creating a team. This team isn't up to the stature, up to the level of the Juventus's, Manchester United's of the world that have a long-term history in in the game. See, one of the things that Cruyff did at Barcelona was like he completely like the La Masia, like that. That was his gift to Barcelona. Is he changed and shaped that? to what it is now and what we understand it as now like he is the man behind that really whereas well he's, a, we, he's we around seen... the style of the football he didn't like he no, put influence he, he put he, he, he promoted players from the, the thing the same the, from the junior sides the way that they did in Ajax but it's because they all played the same style that was his main he, he brought in a style a philosophy on football and had it everywhere in the club and because of that the functional aspects of a club like the youth setup like the Masia were able to flourish exactly which is why with Barcelona it's hard, or with Man City rather it's hard to really envisage a, a future in which we do look back on Man City or we look at Man City the way it plays currently in that time and think oh well, Guardiola shaped the way this team plays now years after he's left because well, like it's too early to say it is too early to say like the, but when you think about the players he's brought through like Phil Foden you mentioned earlier like Phil Foden's got barely any minutes Zinchenko is playing out of position because they have no other player at left back Uh, they signed Angelino back from PSV who they'd sold him to so he barely even counts as a youth player yeah and they have the young lads it was a Garcia centre back yeah who they're not trusting to play centre back even when they have no one there in that position Gabriel Jesus is actually a kid still but he was signed from from Brazil rather for a lot of money Yeah, for a lot of money yeah Um, so the whole he doesn't but he doesn't trust him He, he only plays him if he has to play which just seems strange because like that was one of Croy's great values is yeah. he trusted someone like Guardiola did or like Guardiola himself yeah. back in the early 90s to put him in the yeah. side to play that way even though like no one at Barcelona thought Guardiola was going to make it yeah. like that is that's the thing that Guardiola's kind of missed in, in yeah. Man City and that's kind of that's going to affect his legacy because when we look like in when I think ahead to who who replaces uh, Pep at Barcelona or Man City rather not Barcelona I'm getting all these names mixed mm. up now when I think about who whether it's Mikel Arteta or whether they just go for some other name manager or whatever yeah. I, I just imagine it'll be they'll tick along like any other manager who comes in and replaces someone else yeah. it won't be this continuation of a process even with Mikel Arteta coming in if it is him I don't see it being a continuation because that'll be his first job in management yeah. assumedly unless he goes to Arsenal and Arsenal then, goes to, and then and yeah, he does all three in yeah, six yeah, months yeah. may as well like a job share yeah he you might as well you yeah. could do them all yeah that'd be great crack 
but I just don't see him having this kind of effect where where he is the the figure behind the club now in the way that Cruyff is. Like he, Cruyff and Barcelona are synonymous now. Yeah. You can't think about the way Barcelona play and think, oh, well, Cruyff would love this or Cruyff would hate this. Yeah. Like it is, that's the only way we look at Barcelona yeah. now. Yeah. No, you're right. And what makes me think is it's too soon is maybe uh, Pep isn't Johan Cruyff. He doesn't have the exact same ideology of him. He's much more flexible than Cruyff was. He's a much, as you said, he doesn't trust youth as much as Cruyff does at all or did at all. He is very much a win at all costs, which Cruyff, I don't think the dream team losing 4-0 to Milan in the Champions League final was case in point to that. He stuck to his, he could have lost that match 1 or 2-0 and stuck to, you know, rode it out and lost 2-0 nobly. But instead it was a, you know, a complete terrible defeat because he stuck to his principles and played his same way the whole way through the match. I don't think Pep would ever allow that to happen knowingly. He has lost matches. He has been trounced, like in the Champions League specifically. Uh, Real Madrid did it to him at least on one occasion. Who did it the other time? Bayern Munich? No, that was the normal part. That was Val- Villanova. Uh, but, you know, Real Madrid did it at least once, if not... Did they just do it once? I, I think they twice? just did it once, but like Liverpool kind of did them as well. Yeah, exactly. And, you know... Monaco to an extent yeah to an extent as well although that was a very special Monaco side to, to, to and it was to technically in a way goals defeat in the end yeah well, it either. was like and and similarly like the Spurs match as well they did see a lot of goals but the, you know it was there was mitigating circumstances but will it take whoever Pep's successor is not even the first successor because the story is that the first successor of Pep is probably going to be a transitional manager i.e. they'll pick someone who likely they expect not to last more than a season maybe a season and a half Allah, what's happened at at Arsenal with um with Unai Emery that he's last a season and a half, and then they bring in another big name, and that will be the the plan for the future. And may, is that person that transitional person Mikel Arteta, or is it someone else at the club? Patrick Vieira is very well liked at that club as well at Man City, that is, and was the youth team manager. He knows a lot of these players who are now currently on the fringes of the first team. They were originally under Patrick Vieira at the club a few years ago. So is he the guy to come in and do it for a season, season and a half? And then maybe the manager after that will actually start reaping the benefits of it. And you see the likes of Phil Foden being a starter, of Zinchenko being a starter, of your man Garcia being a starter, of the young goalies coming through, of the young strikers coming through at City. Is is it a thing that the La Masia, whatever it's called in City, I don't know what it's called there. They have a name for it. I forget what it is. Their, their academy will start producing P players, but it's still not going to be till years after the, the the Pep era has ended because all the teams now I'd imagine are all playing Pep Guardiola style football through the ranks they're all playing that passing controlled unbelievably controlled type style of football and that takes years for young players and everyone in the club to really buy into and get a hold of and maybe it will be years before it really does start taking hold in the club and it gets it I think that's his long term strategy but again only time will tell in it at the moment it doesn't look like that's happening and if he was to leave right now and they brought in another big name manager similar to Pep who only wants to win matches and doesn't care about youth to the extent of a you know a Louis van Gaal or Johan Cruyff does it, yeah his legacy will be tarnished no doubt and then obviously you mentioned earlier the the, the racist incident that happened mm. with the fans when Fred and Jesse Lingard went over to take a corner for Manchester United it was apparently noticeable in the match yeah I, in I, the stadium like. yeah and, and it was really disappointing to see as well the steward who was standing right beside the, the man that was ejected for uh, the you know what he was doing an ape impression yeah of that, Fred, that's yeah. what it looked like yeah um, 
Well, we don't. So, yeah, like, we yeah. allegedly. Yeah, allegedly, obviously, yeah. you know, we have to cover our we, bases. Yeah, we, we see we, it, but we can't, uh, there could be some other excuse. Who knows? Yeah, but the steward just kind of standing there and just not doing anything to stop it either. Like that's not very yeah. good. Like, it was nice to see the the Man City players go over to Fred and kind of like you know make sure he's okay because he was hit with something. We don't yeah. know what. Yeah, um, it's like. I think it speaks to a much larger problem. And yeah, I think City are a bad example of it at the moment. Like they're very, like the toxicity in the in the football fandom at the moment at every club has been terrible. City are a particularly bad example. But we see in the last week alone, we've seen the West. Was it the West Ham match last week? Yeah, it was West Ham Bur- against Chelsea. I Chelsea, think. yeah, and we had similar types of ant- and like what's and going- Burnley against Burnley. As yeah. Well. yeah, a thirteen-year-old is being investigated. A Burnley fan for uh, making fun of Son. Yeah, uh, like it's it's just like there's a lot of things you can do. I personally don't think like necessary. I don't. Yeah, I don't think that buying a ticket to a match or having a Twitter account entitles you to abuse somebody else for no reason, or even if you have reason for abusing someone. It's it's why why would you in a in a civilized society there's no place for that. You can have disagreements. You can you can yell at somebody like telling them an expletive or doing that. That's fine, and that's the end of it why would you stoop to the level of racism of even if it's like I don't want to say casual racism because all racism is bad but even if it is a stupid thing a child would do like that happened seemingly it's happened with some but that adult that was a fully grown man doing that to Fred for what reason like what possible this is a football match you have no reason to ever do anything like make ape sounds or make ape gestures at a at another human being or to even throw something at a human being who's just trying to do their job. It isn't even the case, you know, you can make arguments sometimes, oh, they're, the players are goading the fans into or into causing a reaction, you know, like Emmanuel Adebayor diving into, like doing knee slide into Arsenal fans and, you know, things being launched at them. Or, but even then, like... It, it's, you don't need to stoop to that kind of language yeah. or that kind of gesture. Like, it's, no. e- like it's easy to just call someone a, a generic kind of slur, or not slur, but an well, expletive, as you say, and move on or yeah. flipping the middle finger or whatever you want yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. Like, we're not going to complain about that. When you're out at a football match, fair enough, call someone a, you know, an F word yeah. or an S word or whatever you want to call them. But <laughs> try not to swear on the podcast. Okay. <laughs> um, but there's no need to go into these kind of gestures or, you know, bring... Mm someone's race into it like it's just needless race it's offensive cre- it's how they look like there's no need stupid. to do any any of it like i know a lot of the players are not that they're immune to it but are used to it which is a bad thing to say but they can t- tune it out it's part of becoming a professional athlete is be able to tune out distraction but like they shouldn't have to like but there's there'll be no there'll be no huge i can't see there being any huge uh retribution for this like obviously we had the bernardo silva yeah, that, that's what I, I want to bring up as well. Like, it is interesting that it's Manchester City that this yeah. particular incident happens with because of what happened with Bernardo Silva earlier in the year, uh, only just a couple of months ago, if yeah. even. Uh, and you know, he got a one-game ban for that. Did he get a fine? If he did, it was I minor. Did, yeah. uh, like that's a dereliction of duty from the FA to really stamp out this kind yeah. of thing and really like teach these people teach the players like you know this this kind of cop on because they are role models at the end of the day like you know if a if a player is going to say or do something racist and a fan sees it they're going to think that's okay when Mm. it's not Mm. and i thought it was actually really interesting because i i watched the sky sports coverage of the match and i was 
you know, just generally wanted to see what their analysis was. But they did mention this, the the what happened with the incident. And uh, I was sitting there and I was waiting and I was waiting for someone to say it. And Gary Neville actually was the one who said it. You know, when the Prime Minister of the UK is out here saying, you know, this, that and the other yeah. about other races and immigrants and all that. Like, of course, it, the Prime Minister is going to be a reflection of society yeah. as a whole. If someone with that much or that high up or in that yeah. much power. Elected, yeah. They're, uh, they're an elected official people, like yeah. that. Exactly thinks he can say stuff like that and get away with it and there's no consequence then of course you know society will reflect it yeah uh, so I'm, I'm glad Gary Neville actually said that I thought it was very interesting for him to say it on yeah. Sky and everything uh, yeah. and you know maybe you're, it'll actually you're lead right. to something you're right like the, the, it's not just the, the, the duty of politicians cause, although it is obviously but like the clubs like Patrice Ever I think was very eloquent on it uh, when he was on Monday Night Football however many months ago now when the Bernardo Silva event happened and he said, you know, he doesn't believe Bernardo Silva's a racist. Like, and fair enough, I have no, I don't know Bernardo Silva either. So I don't know if he's a racist or not either. Or what he, what he, or did, did he have racist thoughts in his mind when he posted that photo of, of his friend, uh, oh my, I was going to say Mangla, but it was Benjamin Mendy. Benjamin Mendy. Another Man City. Is Mangla even still at the club? I think he technically he's on loan, but yeah. Uh, and he said, but what he needs to be educated and education is the thing not shut up and that's what you know we'll take the we're not happy with the situation but we'll accept the fa's punishment which is what man city actually did educate him make him go out and do something make him understand that how some people could see this as racist not that how could you not be immediately defensive which is the entire what was man city's response what was the not i don't want to say sheikh mansour's response but his people's response like and what the rest of the fan base of Man City then took hold of it was like well our club says this same thing happened with Liverpool with Therese Ever and, and Luis Suarez because forget Liverpool fans and Liverpool club it wasn't about the racist words that Luis Suarez had used it was about the fact that it was about a Liverpool player and they didn't think about anything else and they're like well actually step back guys and think about this guy used a racist remark he may not have if we were to believe Luis Suarez he may not have meant it in a racist way although everyone says that you don't it, it was certainly on the verge of being racist if it wasn't immediately like uh, the, it doesn't have the western connotations that we have in this part of the world yeah that, that was a period where suddenly everyone was an expert in Uruguayan kind of slang, yeah. slang yeah so whatever whatever the case it certainly wasn't meant in a goodwill gesture the way that maybe Luis Suarez thought, thought or said afterwards that it was it was bad and he deserved a punishment for it and you have to have zero tolerance for it in the same way they should have had for Bernardo Silva and made a point of it and Man City should have agreed and made a point of it as well. Don't don't suspend him. Obviously, that affects your performance. That's fair enough. Put him into doing community service. Put him into like doing a few educational classes. Have the whole club adopt something. Not not something stupid like all oh, wear the kick-out racism t-shirts that achieve nothing in their, in their pre-match warm-up. But have them actually do an event in the local community and show that despite this happening, Bernardo Silva is not a racist and he's going to prove it by doing this, this and this and the club supports him in this. And then when this situation comes around, if it still happens, they can say, we have zero tolerance for this. We've shown it in the past and we will continue to show it in the future. Instead of being half the Man City fan base are now backing these fans just because they're Man City fans and it's Man City against the world. The club is like, oh, not this again. This is It's everyone's out to get us again and so they think we're racist and all this and we're never... I have black players. Of course we're not racist, you know, that... And that's the kind of defence that's coming out of the moment. Maybe that'll change in the coming days. We'll, we'll wait and see. But the whole of the English football could then learn from it. They're the ones, like not, I don't say they're the ones, but th- there was a lot of uh, vitriol coming out when, was it, who, who were in the plane that uh, racist abuse, the manager got sacked? Oh. So it was in um, Slovakia. 
No, was it Hungary? Was it Hungary that they were I think, playing? I think it was Hungary. And, you know, and there was a 10,000 euro fine or 10,000 whatever it was fine. And there was players who were fined more for doing something silly than they were, you know, for being late for something or something like that or for missing a kickoff. Or there was some ridiculous thing that a team got fined more for than the racist abuse that was om- omnipresent in the stadium that the players and the manager and the coaching staff all uh, upheld and supported and they got fined that. Now, if Man City, if the FA and the Premier League want to show and re- be real vitriolic about this, they're going to have to come down hard on Burnley. If it was Burnley that were involved in that altercation, was it who was the other uh, West, West Ham, Ham who were involved in the altercation with Chelsea, uh, on Man City, on any club that is found guilty of this? Like it happens routinely. I remember what it was. It was um, Celtic were fined more money for having the anti-fascist. Oh yeah, Banner, because of uh, a, a Mussolini's granddaughter. Yeah, yeah. Then, then, then Hungary, say, Hungary were or Lazio were when they actually you know did fascist walks and salutes through the ground and through the stadium. Like that's the situation that we're in with the UEFA, for instance. So the FA and the Premier League have an opportunity here to to lead and to be firm and to actually lay down serious fines or serious punishments not fines necessarily because as Sheikh Mansour was it said about the financial fair play and Man City can flout the law if they want he's what did he say I prefer to 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 hold up UEFA uh, spend 30 million holding up UEFA for 10 years uh, you know countersuing and appealing than I would for just pay, paying the fines that were due to Man City and that was his way of kind of weaseling out of financial fair play like they know that they can do that, but like, just so don't find them. What you do is you okay. Your next match is behind closed doors, and that's zero tolerance. If you if you're fans of any race abuse, and I know it's open to abuse by opposing fans integrating in with you know local fans and then trying to do things, but invest, having a, a clear investigation, transparent, and say okay, we've zero tolerance for this. Your next match behind closed doors happens again. You're getting a points deduction. And that's the only way to get around it. The same with Burnley, same with Chelsea, or West Ham rather. The same with any club. Same with Liverpool, same with Arsenal, same with Manchester United if it happens to them. Like, Everyone like we're is... not trying to say that this is a problem exclusive to no. Man City or even Burnley or West Ham. No, like, there's a toxicity a, a in the game. Yeah, issue. yeah. Uh, like Man City are particularly, uh, have been high, because they're a high profile, because they're in, the there's a lot to, you know, a lot of opportunity for Man City's fans to get outraged. Because and it's been to do with who they're owned by as yeah, well. Yeah, there's a lot of circumstances mitigating it and creating the, the, the atmosphere for it. But at the same time, it's no excuse for being completely abusive on, on social media, for being uh, racist in the, in the ground, for being, you know, throwing things at players. Like, these are these are lines that you're not meant to cross, really. Just, and a civilised society, you wouldn't. You're not going to go... Like, if you saw... If you are a Man City fan uh, going about their normal day and you see a journalist who you disagree with online... You're not going to go and start like giving them death threats on the street to their face, and I think without the without the societal norm of being able, like you said, like the steward, oh, he didn't do anything about the the race abuse, but then what, did he see it as something out of the ordinary? Like the steward does not have an easy job in in that case either, and if they're hearing it all the time, maybe it's not new to them, and maybe this is just something that's been picked up on camera. Uh, I just think finally like the, the closing message of this is like we should just be kinder to each other yeah. like it is ridiculous uh, yeah. this kind of societal issue continues yeah. to persist yeah. and we'll see whether the FA and the Premier League and all the bodies associated with it actually come down hard on these clubs and I don't think they will 
No, they've shown no reason why they will anyway. Yeah, but uh, like that would really you would suddenly you would see an immediate change if there was if there was a ground closure or there was a points deduction or the threat of a points deduction or a transfer ban or the actual powers they can yield wield rather. I think you would see an immediate change in behaviour and the clubs would be okay we're not racist we're going to do all these educational events if you're done you're banned for life you're not coming back we're going to report you we're going to you know all these groups could be banned like they could do this they've done it before they did it with stadium safety eventually after endless deaths countless numbers of people being injured and dying in over multiple tragedies in the 80s and early 90s like the same thing could be happened to stamp out this kind of behaviour because it's not welcome in a football ground uh, and then just to move on uh, <laughs> as smoothly as we can yes. it always is difficult to transition from such a uh, a hard topic like that onto something as a little simpler as Everton sacking Marco Silva big Duncan Ferguson coming in uh, great move for Everton yeah it was a big win for them over uh, Chelsea 3-1 Chelsea having a bad week they've lost two of the last three games now after they lost West Ham last weekend as well uh, they did Valencia beat, beat well. John Terry that time uh, yeah they got Lille coming up midweek as well um, they should get through they but. should get through Lille but it, they are they the gap they, they were looking comfortable in top four but that gap it's five points now uh, and it's five points between them and a bunch of teams it's not just yeah. Manchester United waiting to scoop up any from any mistakes they're, they're saving graces for the most like Manchester United have had a good week but for the most part none of the other tra- chasing pack have managed to pull anything together obviously Spurs had a good win at the weekend but they lost in midweek so it kind of balanced each other out and yeah uh, even Wolves dropped points at the yeah, weekend to Brighton exactly. you know, needless kind of points yeah and like you know are Sheffield United going to maintain this run towards yeah. Champions League football well, they dropped so. drop points as well midweek I think. exactly that's my point is like I don't think it's, it, the, the chasing pack isn't that great so Chelsea do have that buffer and it doesn't look like it's being like in, in all honesty there are five points if anyone had if the all the teams had strung something together it would be you know a bit less than that um yeah uh the performance from Chelsea was just strange though because like Everton had lost midweek uh for Marcus Silva's final game it was at Anfield a club or a, in a stadium they haven't won in since the early 90s I think yeah. or late 90s 99 I think it was the last time they won their 98 yeah they just never beat Liverpool like it's just a given that they were yeah. going to lose that but the manner in which they lost it was yeah, it was poor it was pretty poor that Liverpool were so ruthless in front of goal they bought five shots on target and scored all five yeah. like Jordan like, I have to look at Jordan Pickford for a statistic like that when it's one shot on target all game and they happen to score you think okay maybe it was just a really good shot but five shots on target you got to look at Pickford the two centre-backs yeah. Michael Keane and uh, is it Yerimina playing yeah. centre-backs the other one like uh, big big question marks over that and then you look at the goal that they actually do concede against Chelsea the Mateo Kovacic just kind of having a big shot from nothing essentially goal machine Mateo. goal machine Mateo Kovacic uh, but you look at that goal and you think well Pickford like clearly not yeah. in good form why no. were Chelsea ch- ch- troubling him at all yeah. like, I don't remember Especially having to make a save the kind of players that Chelsea have they all love a shot like Pulisic loves a shot uh, William William loves a shot uh, Mason Mount available loves a shot you know there's players in that squad that love a shot like Kovacic is the only one that got one in um, but yeah Pickford has not been in good form since the World Cup season and a half like last like throwing the ball against Liverpool last year uh, that Divac, just kind of highlighted legend Divock Origi you know scoring that goal that, yeah it's it's been continuous 
Everton don't have a decent backup, so they can't drop him out of the squad. He is still one of their most important players, and they spend a lot of money on him as well. He's, he's looking more million. and more like Joe Hart as time goes on. That he was a he was oh he's a decent prospect and young, and then too much pressure too soon, and it, either it's gone to his head, or he just cannot. He isn't that good. One or one or the other. But like first of all, he had a really good year of Sunderland in the year they did he's go fantastic. down. He, he was by far the best player. He yeah. stopped them from maybe he, matching Derby County's points record. But then the first year at Everton, he was okay as well. Yeah, he? he had a decent year first year at Everton. Nothing spectacular. He's gone into World Cup number one. But like the thing with Joe Hart as well is like he had a, you know a decent yeah. five six year spell as a goalkeeper at Man City in England number one. Whereas Jordan Bickford has completely accelerated the process yeah. of recreating Joe Hart's career. It's like he's a Joe Hart's greatest hits kind of. Yeah collection basically uh, it's just strange and you wonder like Duncan Ferguson is manager now you where wonder in his Everton, uh, where do they go next to uh, see wearing his Everton uh, he was wearing sweatbands under his with his suit he wore um, what's his name's um, famous Everton manager in Howard the 80s Kendall. yeah he wore his watch Oh, really? How does Duncan Ferguson of Howard Kendall's watch? Uh, he was gifted to a, gifted it to him before the match. Oh, really? Yeah, um, by his, by Kendall's widow, I think. Well, that's weird. Yeah, it was strange, like, but it was a touching moment. Duncan uh, Ferguson is meant to be a fantastic man manager. They played very upham football. They were very like the intensity was yeah. a bit much better than in recent games. Like honestly, it's something that's lacking, and I I really haven't seen it since the pe- the glory days of Pep's. Uh, or not Pep Klopp's Borussia Dortmund of a team sustaining like Spurs tried to do for like this was the early days of Pochettino maybe he was there a year and they were doing it for a while and they were really good but they kind of faded near the end of the season because they kind of ran out of steam of playing high intensity high press football it's not something that's really completely transferred into the Premier League there's always that kind of you do a bit of pressing and then you hang back the rest of the time but maybe this like a lot of the players at this Everton side are young they're hungry. They're quick. They're playing in a pretty tight home ground anyway at Goodison. Like, it's not a big pitch. So it's not like they have a huge... It's not like they're covering the new Camp in terms of the amount of ground they need to cover to keep this high press going. So, I think it's a better way of playing than Marco Silva. I've been saying for months that Marco Silva has sucked the joy out of the place. He's not a manager you want if you want joy. He's a manager you want if you want to grind out results and and the atmosphere at, at Goodison Park was a lot better on Saturday like you could feel the yep. fans were up yep. for it and that really helped the players really pushed them on because like when it was still nil-nil for that brief period at the start of the game you still fancied Everton like mm-hmm. that you could see that they were up for it and then once yep. the goal goes in everyone's kind of rocking it's 1-0 yep. Chelsea had maybe a couple of chances in the first half but then once it was 2-0 and even though Chelsea got back to 2-1 pretty quickly you still thought yeah Everton have this yeah. in a way that if it was Marco Silva and it went 2-0 up and Chelsea pulled one back you'd think yeah, oh yeah, no yeah. here we it's go like again it's all over again yeah Chelsea gonna win this but yeah. no they, they held on yeah. they got that third goal and Kepa looking very dodgy another goalkeeper in trouble yeah, at the that, moment that, that, yeah he's in Spain number one somehow I don't He's better with his feet than De Gea is, but and De Gea is Supposedly, not. Supposedly, did not see the ball he played against Everton. But De Gea has also just kind of not performed well no, for Spain either, especially at the World Cup. Yeah, I think that's kind of gone against him. See, as well. the peak of goalkeepers seems to be decreasing all the time. Usually, it was like you were mid thirties before you hit peak, and now what? Lloris it's normalizing is what, more to what? Uh, yeah, no, regular, regular player. players are. Yeah, although De Gea had a, a nice save in the in the Manchester derby. Yeah, but a nice save is yeah, you know that's bread and butter. I did I did know. see Oli Solskjaer say oh, it was good to have our keeper back, which is a bit uh, short sighted. Well, bit, uh, it's, getting ahead of himself there a little. Well, yeah, or maybe it was a, a veiled. Well, there's nothing veiled about it. A critique of De Gea's recent performances. 
Uh, well, I think even Day himself has been open about the fact that he's not performed at his best lately as well. So I wouldn't I wouldn't read too much into that. But uh, yeah, Chelsea worrying for him for them uh, going into Christmas. Was, very hectic. Yeah, I think it's normalization. I think earlier in the season we said it that you know we we predicted to be in the season that I I think I predicted Chelsea wouldn't finish in the top four. It's looking less likely given the results of the other teams that I may have thought would finish in the top four, namely like. I thought Arsenal, Spurs and United might challenge a bit closer than they have done. Uh, so Chelsea looked like it's a buy almost into the Champions League this year. But it's it's normal. Like You have younger players. They can't perform all the time. You have a relatively small squad. You know you're going to pick up injuries. You can't augment it. The young players aren't that experienced. They make mistakes. You still have a couple of liabilities in your team if your keeper makes a silly mistake like he did against Everton. You can't really legislate for it. And he's one of the so-called experienced players even though he is still very young. And Chelsea have a very straight way and kind of non-adaptable way of playing football, which is, as we said before, counter-attack, high-pressing, high-intensity, high still with a deep-lying uh, defence, which leaves a big gap for other opposition teams to create stuff. And against smaller teams, that doesn't hurt you. But against well-organised teams, especially, say, the Manchester Uniteds, the Man Cities it hurts you and against a team like Everton who out of nowhere start playing this high intensity football in your third of in your defence basically you will it'll force eventually mistakes and eventually goals and that's what costs Chelsea at the weekend uh, it's a good test of character now I think to see how they react to these kind of poor yeah. poor defeats and the fixture pile up well Lille it'll be that I think they'll get a big boost from Lille in midweek if they can manage to drag themselves into because I think they only need a draw yeah I think they only need a draw and well. I expect them to get that because Lille have not been good this season uh, and then just finally in the news going to wrap the up news. the European section well that's technically what this section of the show is called <laughs> yes. uh, the European round of week which we haven't really done in the last few weeks uh, Syria and Bundesliga having a bit of a title race at the moment Juventus can't, what was one of my friends said over the weekend is like Sarri is such a crap manager that he can't even win at Juventus now I think that's that's harsh on Sarri <laughs> it's slightly harsh and he's like he has Ronaldo and he can't win um yeah, it reminds me of uh, the you know, the Carnerly commentary of the the England Iceland match in Euro twenty sixteen. Oh yeah, they were up after like, they're up after two minutes and they still lost. It was like that, as you know, they have Ronaldo and their Juventus on six consecutive titles in a row, and they can't. They're they're losing to Conte side, which is functioning well but Conte is fighting with the board already he doesn't get on with some of the players you can see glaring gaps in that Inter side and yet and yet yeah because I did watch the Inter Milan versus Roma match on Friday night just kind of randomly and uh, obviously you know the build up to that was the whole thing you know we were talking about the racist incidents in England the mm. stuff with Corriello Corriello de Sport or whatever it's mm. called second biggest newspaper in Italy uh, with the blatantly racist headline of Black Friday for this match so the build up for that was uh, intense as it is uh, but the match itself ended up kind of drab kind of you know you're kind like of, most Italian football it was, very, expected, yes. it was a very stereotypical Italian football match where the two teams were just defensively solid enough looks like it's raining even though it's not <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Lukaku didn't particularly impress up against Chris Smalling Chris Smalling had a nice uh, they had a, they had a, gun, they had a, a clash yeah. uh, uh, mid-match but they did embrace after the match as well to you know chat or whatever I assume they yeah. got on well enough at United uh, but 
The, the thing with this Inter Milan side, I've only caught a few glimpses, glimpses of them here and there, but they seem to just lack that, that Diego Costa or that Eden Hazard that kind of made Antonio Conte's Chelsea good enough to win the league. Yeah. Like, they play poorly, but they still just grind out a 1-0 win because yeah. Costa would just bully his way well, through Lukaku's a couple defenders. Lukaku's kind of been that, and that Argentine fella, I can't remember the name of. Uh, Latero Martinez, and they, they've linked up quite well this season, mm. and which surprisingly, because they seem polar opposites. Mm. Uh, but... It just seems like when they come up against a, a well-organized defense, they do struggle to kind of break it down. Like unless they can ca- catch them on a good counterattack. To be fair, the Roma That's Italian football. Yeah, Roma had a had a stand-in goalkeeper. He did make a couple of good saves. Inter were the better side of the two, and it was in another in another lifetime or in another timeline maybe finished two all instead of nil all. But it was kind of that stereotypical Italian match. But it didn't matter. It was I, I, enough. It is enough. They have a two-point lead in Syria now. Which may as well be twenty points in Syria. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it is. It's hard to see if it's going to be interesting to see if Inter can keep up kind of this grinding out results, or do they kind of struggle to win against more organized defenses, especially because it is Italy, and you know that's the the home of organized defenses. Yeah. Uh, the the Juve Lazio match then ended up mad. It was it was a crazy game. Lats La- they were both going at each other. It's like a boxing match then. The the opposite of what you'd expect from a Serie A match. They were both really going for it. Uh, Juve took the lead, uh, and then normally you'd expect a team like Lazio to just kind of cower away, accept a one 0 defeat, have a couple of chances, never really threaten, and Juve be comfortable. But Lazio, they really went for it. They they threw everything at Juve. Uh, they got an equaliser right before half time, and then they came out in the second half and they continued to go at them. They realised, you know, this team can, this Juve team mm. can be got at. They got uh they got a second. And then, um, who was it? Someone got sent off. I can't remember who it was for a tackle, uh, late tackle. Uh, then a penalty was given. Chesney saved the penalty. Then Juve, even though they were down to 10 men, went back and decided, right, there's 10 minutes left here. We need to go for this or else we're going to lose. They went for it. They kept going. They kept at it. And Lazio were able to just pick them off on the counterattack despite Chesney making a really good couple yeah. of saves. A really entertaining match. But that's Juve's first defeat of the season now. Lazio are actually just right behind them. Yeah. Uh, three points behind. So they're kind of a dark horse in this two, two-way title. I wouldn't they're expect, not, yeah. I wouldn't <laughs> expect them to, to go ahead and win it, but maybe they can yeah. challenge for a few like, more Inter, weeks. I can almost dream of it now. But you remember last season we had a similar thing with... Um, with Inter as well under uh, Spalletti and it completely faded away they, they are a better team now and they look like they can actually you know that, yeah they have that, Conte that, as that, well they have an actual guy who's won things they, they know how to grind out yeah. those 1-0 victories I know they didn't quite do it this weekend but they know how to do that against yeah. the lesser teams it's just a matter of can they do it consistently yeah. uh, and Lazio yeah I'd expect they're a good side they have a lot of really interesting players Sergio Milinkovic Savic yeah uh, he was linked with uh, big moves over the last couple of summers. Seems to be the kind of thing that will get them through difficult matches. It's just, again, a matter of can they do that on the level of Juve. Uh, I don't think they will, but I think they will finish in the top four, which will be interesting. Okay. Uh, and then in Germany, Bayern Munich are seventh. They're seven points off yeah. the lead in in, in uh, the Bundesliga. Borussia Mönchengladbach had a big win there. That uh, was a 2-1 win. 90th minute penalty. Javi Martinez getting sent off yeah. with my favourite kind of sending off challenge where he slides in with his whole body and he lands on his face yeah. and he knows he's been sent off so he just leaves his face in the ground yeah. I do I do had enjoy that had to be that. done like, had to be done it was great uh, you know a lot of fair play to I can't remember the guy who actually did it now who scored the penalty but fair play to him for stepping up in the last minute in such a big match yeah Bayern are in a, a bad way like they, they need, really are they need to No, they're not going to change and I think 
I think they'll, they'll I think they will confidently comfortably finish in the top four. I think the Bundesliga this season, for talking about a league that has reached the end of a era to, or not end of an era, but end of a cycle. I think it's Bundesliga this year because there is no clear best side in it. Like I wouldn't, it wouldn't be outside of the question of the caretaker manager, and not even a caretaker manager like Jupp Heinkins was, but just a random caretaker manager which they currently have could win the league with this Bayern side still despite them being at 7th coming into Christmas because there's only what 2 weeks left and then they're off for yeah I think they've only got a couple more games they're off then. for a month then uh, like it, 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 we'll see how far back they'll be at that point because it's not looking none of the their performances aren't improving they're not getting anything out of their older players they're really not performing at all they're still like frailty in defence their younger players that they've signed in recent years haven't stepped up with the exception of the player who's been there forever Joshua Kimi, Kimmich but like everyone else is kind of just a, a hanger on at this point or a passenger in the side. It's as if they're coasting at the moment, as if they've already won the league or they're top of the league clear and they're not. But they have the saving grace of, you know, Dortmund not being able to really put together a, 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 a consistent run or the likes of, like, you're looking at Dortmund under, what's his name at Dortmund? Uh, Lucien Favre. Lucien Favre, who chokes when he eats a salad. And then you look at, uh, whatchamacallum, uh, Wagner at Schalke. Schalke when's the last time Schalke won something of any importance it's been a very long time I, I don't want to say the war but it feels like since the war the, but the interesting thing is last season it was just Dortmund and Bayern and albeit Bayern actually were further away from the top of the table at this stage of the season than they are la- this season even though it's uh, they're further away in positions yeah uh, they were second last year, nine points off. They're seventh now, seven points off. So it is interesting that it's gone that yeah. way as well. The cycle is equal. It's everyone's been equaled. Yeah, like it, it, you say that it's the end of a cycle, but it feels like it's actually the beginning of a cycle at the Bundesliga. But it's just happening at the end of Bayern Munich cycle because we're looking at think... we're looking at Wagner. He's just come in. Uh, Marco Rose at Mauricio Mönchengladbach. Frankfurt are really kind of kicking on as well. Still, yeah, Bayer Leverkusen. Yeah. Uh, what's your name at Leipzig? Uh, yeah, Julian Nagelsmann. Yeah. That is certainly the beginning of what looks like it well, could be an era for him. Well, uh, uh, he's determined to win the league there. It seems because of various quotes that have come out. Uh, yeah. Well, if he doesn't do it this year, I don't think it's ever going to happen, and I don't think he has a squad to do it this year. Well, I think I think they're a club who would be willing to spend to get no them over the line. In Christmas though in Germany. No, not necessarily this season in uh, Christmas but yeah. you know in future yeah, but that, seasons that, it depends like the problem with winning something in Germany if you're not Bayern Munich it almost always with the exception of maybe and even then when Klopp won the leagues with, with Borussia Dortmund Bayern weren't performing well like you're you're looking at Bayern having a misfunctional season for anyone to even come close to win the league and will they have that would be in some ways it'll be a fourth consecutive Next, if it happens next season, because you know they had the Ancelotti business, and then the up taking over and coasting them to the league. Then they had, uh, I've almost, I've already forgotten Hansi his name. Flick, or uh, no, uh, uh, Hansi Kovac. Flick's the Kovac, yeah. Kovac, Flick which didn't work, still won the league this year. It didn't work, and now they have a thing, uh, a caretaker in. And then next season, you expect them to, like the reason they had, didn't employ Arsene Wenger or didn't employ one of the other, you know, managers who were available at the time was because they're waiting out for the summer for, like, I think Allegri was another one of the managers. Who Eric Ten Hag, I think, is the They're waiting for Eric Ten Hag, which, or Pochettino, or a couple of others on a shortlist. They're not, they're, I don't see them throwing away next season as well. 
<laughs> I knew he would. He can't take it, can he? He can't take it. He just can't take it because we've out-tacticked him, we've out-witted him. Uh, you know what I mean? He just can't cope, can he? Like, you know, so... Christmas time is the busiest time of year for many people around the world, but most importantly it is true for, for Premier League footballers. It is a particularly busy period for Liverpool Football Club. Completing, uh, competing on five fronts over the next five weeks, they sit comfortably at the top of the Premier League table with an eight-point lead. But for their closest challenger, not Manchester City to our surprise, but instead Leicester City, the next few weeks is crucial. As Liverpool's fixtures come thick and fast, can Leicester pile the pressure on and continue their fine form, or will Liverpool's incredible winning run continue? It has to end at some point. They're not that good that it can't end. They've looked susceptible at certain points. Now They seem to be back on the, the treadmill, for lack of a better phrase, at the moment. Leipzig is going to be a big challenge for them, and the game after Leipzig. Salzburg. Or not, Salzburg, rather, or Red Bull. I just call them Red Bull. To avoid Red, Red Bull Salzburg, they have to get a result of some sort out of that match. A, a draw will likely see them finish second. A draw is enough to get out of the group, but yeah. it would be a disappointing result to get a draw. Yeah. Their away form in the Champions League has been poor over the last few years. Even in the year they won the Champions League, I think they lost all three of their away games in, in the group stage. Yeah. They lost. They had a poor performance in the quarterfinal away from home. They lost 3-0 at the new Camp away from home. Uh, in the semi-final, their away form is poor. Yeah. Even even in the home form in the, in the Champions League this year has been poor. And it's just weird that like Napoli got four points out of them. Uh, Salzburg were unfortunate not to get something out of them earlier in the season. Uh, like Napoli and Salzburg, if you were to put them into the Premier League, like you wouldn't say they'd be above Liverpool in the league title. No, no. So what is it about Napoli and Salzburg that they can get the better at Liverpool, but... Liverpool seem to just steamroll everyone except for Manchester United away their most difficult fixture of the season in the league I think they're the European champions which makes anybody raise their game they're playing either at Anfield which is a big night or they're playing at their home ground against the European champions they're well watched so everyone knows how to play against them and you have to remember as well as opposed to most of the, the, the teams that Liverpool play week in week out they're not used to playing Liverpool and Liverpool aren't used to playing them. So they play a different style of football that, ne- that the players won't necessarily know immediately. And they have wild cards they can throw in there. Napoli are a very experienced side with a lot of very good players and Carlo Ancelotti knows how to win a cup match. But the thing is with Napoli, like they are such a shambles at the moment. Like there was that Carlo pitch. knows how to win a single match. But He's always like bright his career on it. But at this point, it seems like none of the players want to play for Carlo. But then when yeah. they go to Anfield, they suddenly were the better Cause side. Because it's, it's a big night. With, Sal- with Salzburg, you throw in the, the complete... Like again, wild cards all over the place. You have um, your man's son. What's his name? Erling Holland. Erling Holland, who just can score anywhere and has. <laughs> he's he's, he's like incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have the American coach, who nobody really knows what he's going to be like, or what his teams are going to be like, or and it seems the players sometimes don't know what his teams are going to be like. And you have a hodgepodge of new players that you can look at video footage of. You know, you can do video analysis of Salzburg, but a lot of, they're not going to play the same way they played last season. He's and the squad has been kind of thrown together. To this season and over the last year, so they have very little. They don't. They have a very small sample to go at. So, in traditional and not necessarily traditional, but if you're watch, if you're 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 playing a fairly well structured like a team from France like Lille, you're going to dominate. You're going to win because you're playing a team that's going to play a certain way. You've seen all the players. You know the manager. You know what style they want to play. But against these other teams, it's a different way. Coupled with that, you have to look at Liverpool. Don't want to win the Champions League. They won it last year. Like it's of course they'll they'll take it and if they could do it again it would be absolutely fantastic for the club, but they want one thing more than ever at this point. 
they want the reverse of what almost every European side wants. They don't want to win another Champions League. They want to win a league title. They're the anti-Real Madrid. They're the anti-Real Madrid, anti-Juventus, anti-Bayern Munich, anti-Paris Saint-Germain. Well, yeah, anti-Paris Saint-Germain as well. They just want to win the league. And if they happen to fail to get a result against uh, Salzburg this week, they'll be like, oh, this is bad. And there'll be lots of obituaries written about, oh, it's all gone wrong. Klopp, when when will Klopp stay end at Liverpool? And is this the end of an era? And they'll, they'll, t- they'll write that out. And then come January, February time, when Man City and Spurs and uh, who's the other team? Chelsea, maybe, are go- most likely, actually, are going to be playing knockout matches in the Champions League. Liverpool will have a weekend off or a midweek off. Well, they will probably have Europa League games uh, that they'll have to play. Like They'll have to build an 11 for those. Yeah, at but least they might, you might games. see that, uh, that uh, Carabao Cup semi-final team playing a few more matches uh, in the year. Not a terrible Keeping Kelleher, you know, getting a few runs at runouts. You know, I, I, meh, maybe I want Liverpool to lose yeah. now when you mention it like that. Yeah. So, uh, that would be, that would be uh, quite something, though, if the if the team that won the Champions League got knocked out in the group. It hasn't happened since Chelsea did it. Chelsea. Did it happen Manchester United? No. No, no. They, oh, they got to another they, final. They uh, they were runners-up that year. Yeah, yeah. They got knocked out uh, by um, Basel. Uh, but it has happened before. I think Chelsea were the first team who had won the Champions League to get knocked out in the group stages. Are they? I think so. But I'm not sure. That was Roberto Di Matteo back uh Oh, big Bobby, Bobby D. Well, 2012 was when they were knocked out, yeah. But then with Leicester, like I, I, yeah, Leicester. I, I want to go on record and say I've completely underestimated both uh, Leicester City and Brendan Rodgers. I remember going. I remember our preview show. You had them down as seventh, which I think a lot of people had yeah. them down as, and I just thought they're not good enough. To I didn't think they seventh. cracked the Champions League places or the Euro- European places, but yeah, no one, no I one thought, thought they come close. No one thought Tottenham, Arsenal, Man United would be as bad as they've been. Yeah. Although Man United are fifth at the moment. Uh, but Arsenal and Tottenham are yeah. what's eighth and ninth or something Tenth, like that. Think, yeah. Uh, no one thought they'd be this bad this far into the season. But I, even if you account for that, I think most people would have had Leicester fifth, maybe fourth at best. No one would have had them second, six points clear of Manchester City, yeah. eight points off Liverpool, winning matches comfortably. Jamie Vardy looking goals. <laughs> Jamie Vardy is five is five goals clear on the top of the Premier League scoring chart. He, he scored in sixteen goals. Eight games in a row. He's got eleven goals in his last eight games. Sixteen yeah. and sixteen overall. Yeah. Uh, but that is crazy. Like he's and he's what thirty one, thirty two. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of that is down to the fact that he started his career later than most people did. He's like the reverse of Rooney in, uh, in a sense. I think no, because he still played a lot of football. He's had a lot of mileage on that on that career. Like his legs have done a lot. But I, in fairness to him, he's every year he's been in the Premier League, he's done it. Yeah, and he, he's improving every season nearly. It seems to, except yeah. for that one year where he won the league. But his form is now recognisable to that of when he won the league yeah. uh, and including going on this eight game run like yeah. he's the first player to go on an eight game run since he did it and he went 11 games back in the year they won the league and that wouldn't be against him doing it again and he could the, do it he's the first person to have done it twice since Ruvan Nistelrooy and like yeah. we all know how good Ruvan Nistelrooy was at scoring yeah. goals uh, he got two against uh, Aston Villa there midweek they've won eight games in a row now the only disappointing thing for them is they've not caught up with Liverpool at all yeah. in those eight games which is mad really and just goes to show how good Liverpool yeah. have been at just at the very least winning matches uh, but now as we come into Christmas like it, I, I kind of want to compare Leicester now to Ranieri's Leicester because they're completely different really yeah. even though they're having kind of similar seasons uh, yeah. but at this point of the season Ranieri saw he didn't have as many points they didn't score as many goals they conceded more but they had top league though uh, I think they were top yeah, league yeah you see that's the difference that is that the difference, is the important but going, the difference. In, but going into Christmas that was when we all thought oh this is where Leicester fall yeah. away and to an extent they did they lost one of only three matches at Christmas they drew 0-0 at Man City 
They drew somewhere else as well, uh, someone kind of random. So Crystal Palace? It was like Crystal Palace or Norwich or something like that. It was a poor nil-all draw or something like that, or one-all draw. Uh, the, not too long after, they drew two-all West Brom in a week in which they actually gained points on the rest of the league, but it was still a poor performance from yeah. them. Uh, but going into Christmas now, they have some really difficult fixtures. They have Man City coming up on the 21st and then on Boxing Day or St. Stephen's Day, they have Liverpool themselves. Yeah. But the build-up to that's going to be really interesting because Liverpool now, I mentioned, they're competing on five fronts. They've got the League Cup, the FA Cup, the League, the Champions yep. League and the Club World Cup all coming up yep. this month and the start of next month. Uh, they don't have the biggest squad. They're, nope. they're playing they're a match. They're susceptible to injuries. They have crucial... They have Fabinho's out injured yeah. during this period as well. He's their most important midfielder. Well, probably the amount of times he gets injured and misses large swathes of games would would disagree but with he's, that. But he's he's their best performing midfielder so far this pitch. season. But yeah, Kaita's coming back. Henderson is doing the job on the right hand side. Oxley Chamberlain's come back at the right time. Like I, w- I wouldn't worry too much at the moment. I think I think there's more crucial if they lost Van Dijk, if they lost Salah, Firmino, or Sane for a prolonged Mane Mane for a prolonged period of time. It would be a different situation. Uh, but yeah, I, as I said in the last in the last round of things, Liverpool want to win the league more than anything. I think I I, I get what you're saying. They have to go to Qatar a day after, or this they'll already be in Qatar when they're playing that match against uh, who are Aston Villa? Is it they're playing in the quarterfinal? Uh, it's Aston Villa. Yeah, yeah Aston Villa at Anfield. I think they're playing. Um, the, like the squad will be in Qatar and then they have to come back a few days later to play the Christmas fixtures whichever is three games in seven days or whatever it is and I think if they'll look at it and they'll look at the way things have gone at that point if Leicester have continued their form which I don't expect them to get a result against Pep Guardiola and I think Brendan Rodgers does not quite have that top game performance he never had it at Liverpool. Yeah, like you look at the games they have lost this season. They've lost to Manchester Liverpool, United. Manchester United. Yeah. A poor Man United performance yeah. that one that day, and they still beat them one nil, yeah. albeit through a penalty. They lost at Anfield. Mm. Uh, didn't they lose to? They drew with Chelsea when they probably were the better side and should have yeah. won. Uh, they did beat Arsenal, but again, eleven uh, six could much. beat Arsenal yeah, at this yeah, point. Yeah. Uh, did they play Tottenham yet? Yes. What, I want to say yes. I can't remember I if they did remember or not. That, that completely blank. But yeah, me. but yeah, they've lost big matches this season. So going up against Man City, a team that look vulnerable, you still kind of think can Brendan Rodgers actually beat Man City? And I don't think they can. Like I think they'll have they'll have a. I think going into the Christmas period and coming out of the Christmas period, they'll still be in the top four shakeup. They'll probably in third, maybe fourth at that point if things go badly. I don't think they can catch this Liverpool side. I know what you're saying. They have more points. They play better football. They seem to have a more controlled manager in, in charge. They have their best player in great form. They have other players. They're not as dependent on that best player in Jamie Vardy for the creation of chances. And they're not entirely dependent on the way they were against Riyad Mar- on Riyad Mahrez for creating chances for Jamie Vardy. There is a good a good group of players there who can who can share in the, the load-bearing of, of creating chances. They are more flexible. They're not reliant in defence on two big centre backs and a big holding. Well, not big holding. Can't say it's not a big player, but they're not. You know, relying on a defensive player like that. They're more of a unit, a solid team, a cohesive machine that moves together in in the small compact way. But at the same time, this Man City side is probably better. Has better individuals on their day. Plays better football under Pep Guardiola, and I would expect Pep, like I would have expected, Pep seems to react at this point. Given the the way they performed in recent weeks, they haven't. So it's only a matter of time before you get that reaction match from his team. 
Leicester seems as good at the point as any. Yeah, and then like I think that is the the crucial week. Like we'll, we'll learn a lot about the the character of this Leicester City oh, side yeah. to use a Brendan Rodgersism. Well, he signed a new contract, hasn't he? So maybe we'll see this next year as well. Yeah, uh, and I I just think it's a credit to Leicester, but considering like it to to win the league in twenty sixteen to come back off that high is very difficult. But yeah. they they've structurally they've organised the club very well. They've basically made a mockery of every big side besides Liverpool and Man City yeah. by building such a well-organized side bringing in a manager like Brendan Rodgers when Arsenal wouldn't when Tottenham didn't that time yeah. uh, Liverpool tossed him aside although then it ended up being the right decision at the time yeah. but you know it's time it ended when I, I remember we, we sat and we recorded an episode when Wenger announced his reti- when it, not necessarily retirement but he was leaving Arsenal yeah. and I said they should go for Brendan Rodgers and I'm not saying oh look at me I, I predicted he'd do well but I, I still just look back at that moment and think why didn't they go for him then yeah hindsight's you know, is what's twenty twenty. Yeah, it's twenty twenty. We we did we couldn't predict the future then. As it turned out, that would have been a good appointment. And you know, it's just clubs don't, especially bigger clubs and the fans and the management of bigger clubs. They like to think that they're a big club and they like to think they'll move in the circles that big clubs move. And generally, when big clubs appoint managers, they like to think that they're they're making a seismic change in the operations of the global game. The way that Ferguson was there for 26 years, however long he was actually at Man United, I forget. Yeah, it was 26. Uh, Wenger was there for 20-something years. Clough was there for X amount of years. Cruyff was there for 10 years and set a framework in place for the following managers to follow. Uh, Ancelotti was at Milan for nearly 10 years. Uh, you know, the, Zidane, four years, three Champions Leagues, or three and a half years, three Champions Leagues and a league title. You know, these big managers, when the big clubs appoint them, they want them to stay for long term. And whenever a big club looks at the likes of Brendan Rodgers, they think, yeah, but is he is he a long term manager? Is he the, the team we build a legacy around? Is he the guy? And no one sees Brendan Rodgers as that. Maybe Celtic did for a time. But none of the big sides at the moment anyway view him like that because of the flakiness he provided at Liverpool. Because of the Brendan Rodgersisms or Brendanisms, whatever you want to call them, of him being very self-obsessed of him explaining to journalists how he got everything right. You know, the, the kind of way that Jose Mourinho did, but without any of the charm that kind of let Mourinho away from it. It was annoying and is annoying when Mourinho does it now. The way Sam Allardyce does it when he won a match and he'd say how great he was, but if they lost them, it would be everyone else's fault. Like, Rodgers doesn't blame everyone else, but, you know, it, it, he's hard to take at times and he hasn't earned that kind of aura or respect that comes with age and experience. Now he's getting a bit older. I know he's changed a lot in his life. And maybe it is slowly, you know, he's earning that respect that maybe he, people lost for him when he was at, when he was at Liverpool and being that manager that everyone was kind of like, ugh, Brendan Rodgers. And, and the recruitment that they've done there, like, yeah. like they they lost Harry Maguire for eighty million over the summer, but they've they had Son Yonku in place. Yeah. Who did cost nineteen million? Actually, it turns out, which is more than I thought. But still, like even you look, they at had him, him in for a year to bed yeah, him in, and exactly. And you, even just looking at him from afar, you'd be hard pressed to tell the difference between him and Harry Maguire. Yeah, yeah. Like they've managed to replace him with a like for like, and maybe to an extent even better for the t- side that's in it. Yeah, he's a better player. Than uh, Harry not 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 to say that if you swapped him around, my eyes defense would be better, and no. Leicester's would be worse. But well, the, maybe maybe it wouldn't. I'm not saying that wouldn't definitely wouldn't Manchester be. United's defense. Wouldn't be. Wouldn't definitely happen. But yeah. uh, you know, I'm not saying that would happen either. 
so a really impressive recruitment from there. James Madison was a coup from Norwich. Yeah. Uh, they have an amazing midfield with uh, Yuri Tielemans and uh, Wilfred Ndidi. They, it's balanced as well. It's balanced, perfectly there's no, balanced. There's no like player being carried. There's no outstanding player that everyone's reliant upon to do something. They share the load between them. Chilwell and uh, you know as well offers another creative outlet. Even on the bench, they uh, Dennis. Is Dennis first name Dennis Pratt? Yeah. Who came off and came on the bench rather, or came off the bench and uh, set up the fourth goal, Verdi's goal, with a yeah. wonderful ball. But then were they even even the reserves, for lack of a better phrase, they had the likes of uh, Calici and Nacho, who was out in the wilderness really until a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we, we and he I, scored again at the weekend. Him. Yeah, he, he played very well yeah. yesterday. He set up Verdi for the for the first goal as well, yeah. I think, and he just generally played very well. Yeah. Best I've seen him play really since his yeah. early Man City days. Uh, and yeah, the the whole team has just come together in a way that's incredibly impressive, especially after the tragedy as well that happened there yeah. with uh, Vishai, the the owner, yeah. after the helicopter crash there. And it's not Only like that tragedy ago. is uniting everybody. It's kind of just, it's happened. It's not a big sympathy driver. It's yeah. not a big, like, I'm sure it's affected some of them, but uh, like some of these players weren't there at this time. Last yeah, like obviously, you know, his family, Rogers wasn't. His family and the players over there mourned yeah. him. And, you know, as a footballing community, we... We were there for Leicester at the time, yeah. but we have all moved not necessarily on, yeah. not necessarily moved on, but you know it's in the back of our minds. But when mm. we watch Leicester, we don't think, oh yeah, they're doing it for their owner. They're yeah. just a really good side yeah. at the end of the day, and it, the whole the whole running of the business there is just incredibly impressive. And again, as I said, like it totally makes a mockery of Manchester United, Arsenal, Tottenham, yeah. uh, Chelsea. Even although Chelsea seem to thrive in chaos. So you know there's yeah, that. The league, you know. Yeah, watch them in the league next year with like seventy five points. Yeah. Uh, so I obviously I hope for a title race. I wouldn't want to see any club just walk away with the title. No, and I don't think Liverpool are necessarily. But I'm not sure if Man City or, or be, sorry Leicester City are are the team that well, will challenge them going into spring. City or Man City rather are just so far off them now that it's yeah. it's hard to see even if Liverpool drop a couple of points they'd still be really comfortable what's the difference now 14 it's 14 points yeah. which is a gap that's never been overhauled in England no uh, it would be Newcastle-esque it would be worse than Newcastle yeah but it point. wouldn't have the it, w- it wouldn't it w- have the speech like yeah w- we need Jurgen Klopp to, yeah. to play his they still have to go to and get something <laughs> yeah Middlesbrough did the Premier League. Well, they still have to go to Middlesbrough and get something. <laughs> he just says that on repeat. Yeah, just... <laughs> like a broken... Uh, Record. What's the name of the doll that you pull the string? The doll that you pull the string on? Yeah, basically. Dolly. Dolly, yeah, one of them. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, ho- hopefully we get a good title race here. It, it would be, it would just be kind of fun to see Leicester win it again. It would just oh, yeah. Be... It would completely devalue. Yeah. <laughs> well, will life. they bring back Andrea Michelli? Oh... <laughs> Like that's something who, I who do miss. Be, no, they bring in Van Morrison actually, wouldn't they? Why do they bring in Van Morrison? Because he's a Northern Irish, you know. Oh yeah, I suppose. I suppose yeah. Van Morrison would be the closest to Brendan Rodgers of someone of that ilk. I can't think of uh, that guy that wrote, writes Eurovision songs. He wrote Ireland's Call. Don't bring him in. Uh, <laughs> For the love of God, yeah. do not bring him in. Uh, Coulter, Lester's uh, Call. Phil Coulter. Phil Coulter. That's his name. They could bring him in, you know. I want Van Morrison. Bring Van, back. Mor- Van Morrison, and he doesn't play any of the hits. He just plays some weird song he's just written on would the he, saxophone. Would he, would he play Brown Eyed Girl for no. the Leicester Vans? He wouldn't play anything. <laughs> He'd just stand there and scoff at them and disagree with them for winning a league. Yeah, I, I was thinking- Morrison for King Power. Yeah. Well, Tim, uh, that looked pretty good for you for quite a long time out there today. You, you must feel as if someone's just given you a hefty punch in the stomach. Yeah. I ain't never felt this bad either.
Let's bring this show home with a Premier League preview. We've uh, send it now. <laughs> yeah, we we looked at the Champions League matches that are big. Like we talked about Liverpool, Salzburg, and Chelsea, Lille. I think they are really the only standout games. Yeah. Barcelona play Inter Milan as well, but Barcelona are through. Doesn't matter. Yeah, do, like Inter... obviously, obviously Inter need a result, but you'd imagine that, you know if they're playing against Barcelona, so they didn't even bring Messi to the squad. Yeah. They should be able to get it at the same Well, you say that, but Inter have Conte, and Conte's terrible in Europe. And so. Inter do know how to bottle a good position yeah. in the Champions League. They sure do. Uh, especially when Barcelona are involved. Yeah. Uh, but then in the Premier League, we've actually got a couple. We've got a good Super Sunday next week. Uh, Man United play Everton in a match that I could not tell you how that will play out at all. Uh, considering Man United's up and down form and the fact yeah, that we don't know what Everton looks like. It's huge to go down now at this point. It is. Like, like they, they, they'll have they, a Europa League match which they do they even have to get a result? No, in? they're through in the Europa League. They're playing at home against AZ Alkmaar. Yeah, so I expect them to lose that to be honest. And uh, then, they'll rest. They'll play the kids like they did in Kazakhstan. Yeah, and probably lose because Alkmaar are a decent side. Yeah, and they'll be fine. Uh, but yeah against Everton I would I would back Everton to win because Everton are on that uphill curve like I'm not saying Duncan Ferguson's a great manager I don't think he's going to be there for long term but he can get one more performance out of them against Manchester United he'll have these guys up for that match and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been absolutely fluky to get these two wins that he's got in the last week well it, it, like it is interesting we didn't really talk about Man United earlier like they've got 24 points this season 14 of those points have come against Chelsea Liverpool Man City Leicester City and Tottenham yeah. and the other 10 have come in the other 11 games against the rest of the league yeah. like they clearly do raise their level when they're playing against bigger opponents which might actually work against Everton Everton's good form might go against them here and they'll play too well and lose uh, which yeah, is the yeah. backwards logic of football I guess yeah you think that but it's more to do with the way uh, Solskjaer he sets United up to be a small team and not the way that Mourinho did when he just kind of gave too much respect to every opponent he ever played but their way to pay up is counter-attacking football and if you're Manchester United against the majority of the teams you're going to have more of the ball you're going to be expected to do more of the ball and say against Spurs against Man City they didn't and they benefited from that they just got to play those long balls well no that's the thing though they didn't really play long balls like you could see in those attacking moves they're playing playing the ball on the ground which Ole specifically mentioned in his post yeah they're not short passes no, but the, it doesn't need to be short passing when you're yeah. counter-attacking. Like, it is, it is about quick momentum and running with force. And, yeah. but, and, and that is what, you know... It's it was, a modern iteration of, of long ball football because it's not pure counter-attacking football where you have a counter-attacking shape and dynamics. But it wasn't a case of, oh, here's one pass and suddenly Manchester United through, which was what Brighton did actually to great effect against Wolves. But it was a case of, here's five or six or seven. One of the, one of the passes... the ball to Martial and watch Man City fail to get anywhere near him. But the thing is, like in the build-up to that goal, it wasn't a case of someone hoofed the ball up to Martial yeah. and he did it himself. It was a case of, okay, the balls... Hey. No, it wasn't though, because the ball... It started in midfield. Fred moved the ball forward. Fred actually looked like a decent player in these two games, nah, which is bizarre. Nah, nah. Still... A bit Fred. of a joke, but yeah, maybe you should change his name because Fred is just uh, one of those funny names, I guess. Uh, it's hard to take anyone whose name is Fred seriously. No offense, anyone who's called Fred is listening. Freddie Lumberg, like Freddie is di- Freddie Lumberg. That's different. This guy's name is just Fred. It's like ah, oh, Fred. It's, it reminds me of that YouTuber, the first YouTuber with the high pitched voice back. You know, he's got a movie okay. and all that. Okay. I'm Fred, you know, that kind of... <laughs> no, let's just move on. <laughs> yeah, let's move on. It was a thing. Uh, that guy's got a movie. Uh, okay. But <laughs> I'll show it to you later. 
but it was a case where Fred would move the ball forward he passed it to Rashford he passed it to Lingard Lingard would pass it back to Daniel James Daniel James would pass it to Mar- Martial Martial would pass it to James James would pass it back to Martial like that they were specific deliberate movements of the ball it was okay. a cohesive attack you could see that there was a plan behind it yeah. which is something you couldn't say about a Jose Mourinho attacking team. no no not at all uh, and that's what that's what the difference is I suppose at the yeah. moment uh, but against Everton they're at home Everton are that much worse of a side like, it's really hard to say how this will go uh, I would think Everton will take it just because though based on their performance against yeah. Chelsea yeah certainly and based on like this United form cannot continue because they haven't been that great in no, either of those matches despite their victories I think they were I think they were better in those two games than they yeah, have been in other games yeah they were against Aston Villa but that's yeah. not saying that it isn't uh, like, I think Aston Villa is closer to the mean than the Spurs and City performances uh, the key thing is Scott McTominay was back uh, he appears He's to be the, the, crucial, the yeah. crucial cog in the side he celebrated his 23rd birthday this week so happy birthday Scott McTominay happy birthday. Uh, then in the last game we'll look at Arsenal against Man City it's hard to look past <laughs> Man City <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, the, I feel like that was be, the appropriate response. The thing, the thing will be at the time of recording, Arsenal have not yet played West Ham. Yeah, they kick off in like ten minutes, twenty minutes. So, yeah, that could be a if they consecutive l- match without a, a victory for Arsenal. If they lose this match against West Ham and they lose to Man City, then they are legitimately in a relegation battle. Yeah, they <laughs> like really that's are. That's where it is. Uh, like I wouldn't say relegation battle because Everton are still behind them and I don't see Everton being in a relegation battle but Everton went from uh, that was another quirk of the table that Everton went from the relegation places to 14th I know through one win and Arsenal are in 10th and if they lose another one you know they'll drop down further yeah like there's only what, I think it's 4 points between them in the relegation places yeah. at the time of recording it could be 7 now obviously by the time you're listening or it could be 5 uh, it's probably 7 though because West Ham are shambles of a club or 4 or four. Yeah, because it turns out this Arsenal could possibly Pellegrini's last match. Yeah, but potentially. Or that or Arsenal will save his job uh, and then offer him a new a new one. <laughs> Ram Benitez is on Monday Night Football tonight. They should really just, you know, give him the job there and then Well the problem with Rafa Benitez apparently has a twenty million dollar release clause and Arsenal apparently cannot afford it. <laughs> cannot afford it. Inquiries, inquiries have been made apparently. Arsenal supposedly are happy with uh, Freddie Umberg, they Arteta, Pochettino, I think are the two leading candidates Arsenal have. I can't see Pochettino taking that job though. But again, no, Arsenal, but... I feel like Arsenal will be a big topic of discussion next week. Yes. Because uh, they'll play twice by the time we next record. Uh, but that'll do us for this week's episode, this uh, marathon of an episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, I hope you, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you'll be back next week. Uh, uh, thank you for being here, Andrew. Thank you for having me. And uh, we'll be back in to cover Arsenal and Man City and everything else that happens in between yeah. next week. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then don't forget you can tell family and friends about the show. Spread the word of the Total Football Takeover. You can also follow us on social media at the TF Pod on Twitter and Total Football Pod on Instagram. You can also be found on podcast services, including Spotify, by searching Total Football Podcast. The more the merrier. That's what we always say.